0: You're listening to The Human Factor from Inc. Magazine. I'm Eric Schoenberg, the CEO of Inc. and Fast Company. A lot of entrepreneurs follow a winding path to building a company from scratch, but few have as varied a pre-startup resume as today's guest, Dr. Robin Burson. She's an MD, has been a paralegal chasing down white collar crime, also, a radio producer for Dr. Oz on Oprah Winfrey's network. While in med school, she was a yoga teacher, and after med school, she was also co-founder of Curator, a communications app for physicians. And somehow in all of this, she's fitting in raising three kids. But the world knows Dr. Berzin as the founder of Parsley Health, which has raised over $100 million, and at just five years old, is a pioneer in telemedicine and holistic care, with a growing focus on women's health. It su- should surprise no reader of Inc., especially anyone who has met Robin, The parsley was recognized by Fast Company as a most innovative company, and Robin herself named by Inc. to its list of Inc. 100 female founders. All of that, incredibly well-deserved. Robin, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, um, I just learned that your third child, Wynn, is just shy of 12 weeks old. Congratulations. Uh, uh, do entrepreneurs get maternity leave?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, at Parsley Health, they do. Uh, although I have a hard time staying away from baby one, which was officially Parsley. Um,
0: and then <laughs> I
1: have three human children to follow. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm actually feeling really good. By the third kid, it's somehow you sort of resurrect yourself relative, relatively quickly, I'm
0: finding. <laughs> well, well, good. Well, congratulations. Um, Thank you. Uh, you know, I would uh, a lot of kids coming out of college these days are, have a pretty sure idea that they want to be an entrepreneur, at least that they want to work for a startup. They have that vision all kind of you know, burnt into their brains. I take it, just judging from your varied resume, that you didn't have quite as clear an idea of what you wanted to do after college. Is that right what were you thinking when you got out
1: absolutely right i had no clue when i graduated from uh undergrad in 2003 you know in those days startups weren't so much of a thing um people were going off to professional schools like law school and med school they were maybe going to work in finance they were maybe going into a career in the arts uh startups didn't have the ubiquity that they have today and it wasn't sort of a a career path that i remember even in my undergrad days hearing about and so when I graduated in 2003 with a liberal arts education, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so I can't believe you found that. But my first job out of school was as a paralegal at the U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District in New York. And I learned so much from that job. And I'm so grateful to that job because it taught me exactly what I don't want to, didn't want to do. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Somebody prosecutes securities fraud, but it shouldn't be me. And it was there that I really started finding my interest in health and in wellness and ultimately made the decision going to go to medical school. But uh, yeah, it definitely took me a couple stops to find my way there.
0: Um, yeah, I kind of had the same experience for a while. I had decided that as a journalist, I would stop writing about rich people and become one. So i left journalism and went to Goldman Sachs, where uh, I ran away screaming after just a few months, realizing that that was exactly what I did not want to do. Um, what did, did something trigger the the decision to go into medicine?
1: You know, I was finding myself feeling really lost, as I feel many people after college do. I feel like college is such an amazing experience, but doesn't always help you find yourself or help you chart your course to your passions and what you are deeply inspired by. And if you're gonna dedicate your life to something, that is a crucial ingredient. And I did not have that ingredient coming out of school. And so not only did not liking the paralegal gig as fascinating as it was intellectually, it just wasn't for me, inspire me to go away from that direction. Uh, I found a personal passion for health and wellness through practicing yoga, Through getting into health food. And it was through that personal interest that I said, all right, I don't want to do the law. And I'm really interested in health, wellness. Yoga is super interesting practice from a mind body perspective. Let me see if I want to do something in health. And I think smartly, the best way to get a sense of if you really want to be in healthcare, and certainly if you want to spend seven years in medical school, as we were just talking about, I think you're. Daughter may be on that path. Yes. I always recommend go experience patient care, which I know she's doing, which is awesome. And I did that. I went to NYU School of Medicine and worked in psych research, not at the time because I wanted to go into psych and I, I never did go into psych. I trained in internal medicine, but just to have experience with patients. We drew blood, we did EKGs, I had to do patient interviews. And that convinced me that, yes, I did want to go to medical school. I wanted to take my personal interest in health and wellness and the discoveries I'd experienced and how good I felt when I actually paid more attention to my own health and well-being, I wanted to take that a step further and actually go to medical school and get a foundation in the science. Um, But, you know, it's the exploration that many of us go through, I think, after school.
0: Um, I think that uh, the commitment to medical school is such an intense one that it actually is probably a very good idea to try something else and and find out that you're really committed to that. It's a it's a decision, yeah, a self-awareness I would. I would. you may not have right out of school. Um, the med school path, so you you, know, you you discover that you had an affinity for patient care. You, you could take the science courses and you could get into med school, which is no small feat in itself. But the med school preparation doesn't exactly prime you for entrepreneurship. Was there something about your makeup, maybe your upbringing that made you that kind of self-starter that you would go out and start a company or two? Were your parents in the uh, in the entrepreneurship world?
1: If we could answer that question, my parents would be thrilled because <laughs> they have no idea. My mom was a lawyer. My dad was a doctor. Uh, no one was an entrepreneur. <laughs> Everyone was very academic. So. You know, I think when I started my first company, which is during medical school, which is in the health tech space, my parents just thought it was like a lark.
0: Uh, And then when I went on
1: to start Parsley, um, you know, a few years later, I think they just sort of threw up their hands and said, Well, I think you're crazy, but, you know, we're not going to get out of the way at this point because this seems to be a trend. Um, But no, I don't know. You know, I went into medical school and I was really fortunate to. As you say, it's hard to get into med school. It's a long road. I knew I was passionate about health. I was passionate about wellness. I was passionate about healthcare and medicine. I met amazing people in my class, some of whom had started companies before school, who had come from finance, who had done other things. I think one of the best parts of my med school class is that a lot of us uh, had a winding route to med school, including myself, but I was certainly not alone. And I think more and more people who find their way to medicine have done something else, at least for a little while first. And for me, I think I'm just one of those people who, when I see problems, I want to fix them. And I also want to fix them a little bit more at scale. And as soon as I got into the healthcare system, I started seeing ways that technology could potentially transform it. When it came to my first company, we were in the era when you know Facebook was just coming out and Twitter was just coming out and the smartphone was like new. Mm. Apps were new. People, A lot of people still had BlackBerry. Uh, we made fun of them, but of course they still had them, right? Uh, and so in that time, we, a classmate of mine and I started thinking about, well, how do we apply this technology that's becoming ubiquitous in our daily lives to the experience we're having in medicine, where we watch everyone running around with pagers and landlines and fax machines? How is this industry going to catch up? We know that technology is going to transform healthcare. Uh, and I think that starting that first company, was just a great kind of foray into what does it take to start something in healthcare from scratch using technology. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, But once you get your sea legs, I guess I got bit by the bug and and Uh that was history.
0: So what would you say were the key lessons from that experience?
1: I learned so much. I learned, first of all, how to be scrappy. In medicine, we are often perfectionists, right? Because someone's life is on the line. And even if their life isn't literally on the line, as in it's not an emergency situation, we as doctors hold that weight on our shoulders in everything that we do. And so medicine, as a result, being as it should be, very safety focused, is very hierarchical and very slow moving, right? Startups are the opposite. You have to be willing to put something out there even when it's a little janky, even when it doesn't look perfect, even Mm -hmm. when the website doesn't look exactly like you want it to. You have to be willing to fail fast and learn from those failures quickly. And so even though I was only with that first startup for a little over a year, I I really learned so much about not just the tactical things, how to design and build an app, how to get a logo built, how to hire a CTO, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I learned to adopt a mindset that, I, as you mentioned earlier, really isn't taught in medicine, which is to be willing to fail quickly and try things. And I think that is something that, as an entrepreneur, especially in today's fast-paced world and technology in the technology space, you have to have because if you wait for it to be perfect, it's over.
0: That's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that is a, a, a total break from the mindset around medicine. Well, speaking of total breaks, you. You certainly have hit your stride with parsley, and yet parsley itself, in its philosophy, is a severe break with uh, the reigning philosophy of medicine, which is all about waiting until people are sick to treat them. Did you face a lot of skepticism when you described your vision for parsley?
1: You know, my vision for parsley was really born out of what I saw in my training. And in residency, I had an amazing training in med school and in in internal medicine. But what I saw, especially in our outpatient clinics and our primary care space, was that we are managing all of these illnesses that are driving 90% of our healthcare costs, Chronic, that are largely chronic illnesses, things like diabetes, gastrointestinal disorders, depression and anxiety, autoimmune conditions, hormone imbalances, infertility. These are things that people live with for years, if not decades. And what they all have in common is that they are often, Lifestyle modifiable or even reversible. So what we eat, how we move, how we manage stress, our environment has a huge import for these types of diseases that are again driving 90% of our healthcare costs. And yet in the medicine I was trained to prescribe, literally on a prescription pad, the only tool in my tool basket was a was a pill. Uh-huh. And also the medicine that I was medical system I was entering into was largely reactive, episodic, transactional. 15 minute visits. I would spend two of those 15 minutes frantically signing prescriptions. And sometimes I'd be handing somebody a stack of eight, 10, 12 prescriptions to go fill at the pharmacy. Cause again, in those days it was actually stolen paper, scarily. Enough. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought we have to have a more proactive, preventive and holistic approach to health. This isn't working. Our healthcare costs are escalating. We're trying to get those costs down. But we're trying to get those costs down by essentially squeezing the patient experience right. we need to look at the root cause of what is driving these conditions we need to understand that if your asthma is due to a dairy allergy not all the asthma medication in the world is going to sh- shut down your asthma and you need to stop eating the food that you're allergic to and so we need to take a pause be proactive be preventive look deeper and of course use data to do all of this in a smart way and so, I would say to get to your question, when I launched Parsley, to be honest with you, I didn't face so much skepticism from the medical system because we started in direct-to-consumer and we really started just offering our services to people who were sick of bouncing between PCPs and specialists and Dr. Google and weren't getting the help they
0: needed.
1: They were desperate for our care. And so that's what I was focused on. How do we provide great care for people who need it that they're not getting something
0: to get started, you you took uh, money from uh, venture capital. Um, it's a truism that it's harder to raise capital as a woman than it is as a man. That's just been borne out by the statistics. Um, you were pregnant as you were um, making the rounds, um, at least part of the time. And you know, I would imagine that that plus the fact that you were envisioning a, a pivot in the way you treated patients, all of which may have been very unfamiliar to a male group of venture capitalists. What was your strategy for raising money and getting your vision across?
1: You know, I had no idea what I was doing, raising <laughs> money. We'd raised money for my first company, but at the time with a curator, my co-founder was largely um, owning that piece of the work. So I didn't have tangible experience raising capital. Uh, and. In 2017, when we raised our seed round, uh, which was just a couple of million dollars, which now nowadays that's like, you know, nothing. But in, at the right. time, felt like an astronomical amount. In 2017, I was pregnant. Uh, the only funding that I've raised, not pregnant, was our Series A, which was in the spring of 2018. So we raised our Hi. first, you know, sort of meaningful capital in 2018, which was 10 million. Uh, and I was not pregnant for that round. Every other capital time we have raised capital, I've been pregnant, um, which is just, I'm excited for that to stop now. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done having kids, everyone, it's over. Um, three is absolutely enough. But, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember the number one thing I knew how to do, and this I think bizarrely, even though medicine didn't teach me anything about fundraising or entrepreneurship, it did teach me to chase down an answer by asking as many questions as it takes from as many smart people as it takes to get there. Hmm. And so yeah. I probably was aware that, it, you know, women raise only you know less than 2% or I've two to 3% different statistics from different sources of venture capital. To be honest with you, I blocked that out because I didn't feel like that being aware of that or worrying about that too much was going to help me. And I sought out investors um, who were advisors. I sought out, other entrepreneurs who are further ahead of me in their journey. I sought out friends who uh, were in the business community and in healthcare and in health tech. And I got it wrong and I got a lot of no's. And I probably didn't understand at the beginning that a zillion no's. Probably everyone who goes on this podcast will talk about their fundraising experience and mention they got a lot of no's. That is part of the process. Most people are going to say no to you. All you need is one or two or three to say yes. (laughs) And so I didn't know that and i i it was painful but i just kept getting advice and getting advice and practicing my pitch and i think at the end of the day at that time you know 2017 2018 unlike now no one was investing in tech enabled medical services health tech just wasn't wasn't cool so i also had that you know not going for me basically um here I am, a doctor, I bootstrapped the company in 2016, um, so our first funding was past that. And yet, I just through trial and error and asking as many questions as I could ask and accepting I was gonna get it wrong a bunch of the time, kept going. Uh, and as I'm sure you'll hear many of us share as you, as you interview people in this forum, resilience is the name of the game. You're gonna get knocked down a lot of times, but you have to keep getting back up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is truly the entrepreneurial virtue, grit. Uh, indispensable. Um, Can you give us an idea of how Parsley fits into the modern uh, medical industry? How does it compare to, say, concierge services like Forward?
1: You know, Parsley, I would say, is in the class of its own in that the medicine that we practice is really different. We are offering a form of holistic medicine that is focused on looking at the whole picture of your health, spending a lot more time with you and doing a very in-depth intake in terms of the um, initial consultation with the doctor, which is an hour long, in terms of the initial testing we do, which is much more in-depth than any other medical service I've seen. And we do all of that because we really want to understand the whole picture of your health and what is driving your health condition. You could be coming to us with acid reflux or irritable bowel syndrome or depression or weight gain or chronic fatigue or not able to get pregnant or a blood sugar problem your fertility issue could have a different root cause than my fertility issue than someone else's fertility issue your high blood sugar could have a different cause than somebody else's and so we really need to look into, look under the hood as it were and do a much more in-depth analysis and then from there we're focusing on nutrition mental and emotional well-being, exercise. The average person sits 11 hours a day, mm-hmm. um, and that mm-hmm. is a recipe for poor mental health as well as poor physical health. We are looking at all of those factors, along with your blood work, along with sometimes even more specialty testing, things like the microbiome and genetics, and then we're prescribing a truly holistic plan and then supporting you in making the changes that are going to help you find relief. And what we found is that 80% of our members feel better improving or resolving symptoms in your And so i would say that people come to parsley yes we are might be considered concierge and that we're high touch right but they're not coming because they just want a more high touch doctor or more time with the doctor we'll give them that but they're coming because they have an underlying condition a symptom they're looking to optimize their health they're looking to be proactive and they need a true partner in that Uh, and you know there's a, a lot of amazing services that are doing essentially primary care. And at Parsley, I would call us a much more advanced and sort of primary care plus in the fact that we're proactive and preventive in a a different way.
0: Robin, 80% improvement in conditions that I'm sure for many of your patients are things they've been living with for years and been frustrated at trying to solve. To do that within one year, that's an amazing result. Um,
1: We've been focused on data and outcomes from the beginning, even uh-huh. though we didn't even have outcomes data at the beginning or data period. Because when you start, you have no data. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we're we're very proud of that, and we're, um, you know, really I think forging ahead in medicine, a kind of medicine that should be ubiquitous, that that I think is the future of medicine. And I'm I'm biased, obviously, but we need a different way forward, and I think that. What we're doing is going to become the norm and standard of care in time
0: um, let me ask you about uh, about leadership the, the we have a picture of you as the novice a, you know, a greenhorn entrepreneur trying to raise money and um, and failing and getting back up off the ground and asking for advice and eventually figuring out the game now you know you're running a company that is a leader in its field. You have 220 employees as of last count, uh, and growing. And uh, uh, it's a different game for you now. How would you map that evolution from, you know, startup founder to CEO of a thriving, substantial organization?
1: Constant evolution and learning also. I think, again, I I will credit medicine. In medicine, we always say that to be a great doctor, you have to be a lifelong learner because Mm -hmm. medicine is changing so quickly that if you just stick with what you know, you'll be out of date in like a year. Um, I think in entrepreneurship, the same thing is true. You have to be committed to being a lifelong learner. This company is, is so mission-driven in terms of the transformation and health we wanna create. And I'm very aware that I'm not equipped for any of this. I don't have a playbook to follow. I didn't go to school to be a CEO. And so I have to be committed to, again, asking lots of questions, learning from people who are further along in their journeys than I am, having an executive coach, and also being willing to make mistakes along the way. I didn't know how to hire executive talent, because I'd never done that before. I didn't know how to manage them once I did hire them because I'd never done that before. Uh, I didn't know how to confront a global pandemic while running a company because who on earth had done that before, right? Nothing prepares you for these things. Uh, And I'm aware that, you know, as I grow, I need to keep staying at the top of my game and keep changing because my job changes every single year uh the needs of the company my focus in the company is constantly changing and my relationship to literally at the beginning of parsley i was the doctor seeing patients as well as you know marketing ops legal
0: um, yes. real estate management
1: i literally did it, wore every single hat and i think probably one of the hardest evolutions i went through and i passed this now but for in the middle somewhere in the middle there probably between like series a and series b was learning how to let go Mm. of some of that Mm. Uh, because I can be the person with the product vision, but I can also be the person who's like, why is there dust on this doorknob? Um, And, you know, no one needs me to be dusting the doorknobs um, Uh. or sort of getting (laughs) in the weeds or, you know, getting in the way Um, and having to learn that balance, especially as I've hired an incredibly senior and amazing executive team around me. But I had to learn how to get out of their way. But I think I, think I have, although you can go ask
0: them next interview. <laughs> um, well, uh, CEO to CEO, I have to say that is a really difficult thing um, for someone to learn, uh, he said, um, CEO doing a podcast. But well, let's, let's get past that. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that, that global pandemic, which no one was prepared for. Um, that must have been a particular challenge. I remember reading about Parsley at the beginning of 2020, and the article was admiring the beautiful design of your offices. Uh, and then, you know, six weeks later, <laughs> no one was coming to those offices. Tell me how you led the company through that that incredible pivot.
1: You know, first of all, as I said earlier, nothing prepares you for that. and the stress that I think every one of us in a leadership role felt around wanting to make sure that our teams were okay, that people were able to work from home, the denial that some of us were in. I certainly was at the beginning. I was like, we'll be home for a couple of weeks. I was wrong. That was wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think none of us knew what we had our arms around. <laughs> You're laughing because I know you were, we were probably thinking that too. Everyone did. Uh, I think needing to manage a healthcare service in that moment and figure out what was safe for our team and also how to do best by our patients was particularly challenging. Um, One of the places where my team had to push me, I'll share, in total vulnerability was in uh, closing the clinics. I really didn't want to. Mm -hmm. I really didn't want to. And I felt even though Parsley Health is not an emergency service and most of our members pre-covid and i'll get to this in a moment were already using parsley via telehealth uh, largely actually more than they were coming in person and mm. even in places where we had clinics uh, so telehealth was normal pretty normal for us at, at the point that this all happened really deeply didn't want to shut shut our doors because i felt such a commitment to patient care and to being on the front lines with everybody else right even though i had friends who were literally in the hospitals, you know, in a type of medicine that I, you know, we weren't, we weren't practicing. Um, But ultimately the decision was made because we did, we're doing everything over telehealth uh, for a period of time for about a month and a half, a little longer in New York than in LA um, to close and to bring all of our providers home. One of the hardest decisions I ever had to make, because I was so resistant to doing that, uh, but I had to balance the needs of the team, the unknowns on the ground, uh, team safety, and patient care all at the same time. We reopened our clinics in late, uh, late June, early July 2020, um, once there were protocols in place that made us feel like we could do so safely and see patients in person safely. But I'll tell you, it was such a hard, such a hard call. Um, we were already, however, uh, we have beautiful spaces. I'm sitting in one of them now in New York. We Even before COVID, from when we started the company, even from our bootstrap days in 2016, 2017, we always offered telehealth visits. And telehealth was not cool or trendy or widely right. accepted at the time. Uh, but I always believed that medicine should just be where you are we're busy, we're running through our lives. And at that time, as consumers, we were used to FaceTime or Zoom or other types of video communication. And so uh, we could offer secure telehealth visits. And as a direct-to-consumer service, all we were beholden to was what would make our members happy. So uh, we were doing our initial visits in person, but about 90% of our patient interactions, even for our local members, was online. And we saw that 10% of our members were coming from cities and states and even countries where we didn't even operate. And we weren't advertising that. They mm. were hearing about this mm. holistic proactive approach to care that was really hard to find out other places and seeking us out, knowing that they could come in person for that first visit and then continue via telehealth. And so we decided in 2019 on launching a telehealth strategy in early 2020. And so in February of 2020, just as I had my second, my second kid, <laughs> there's a theme here, <laughs> we launched our first 10 states for telehealth, fully remote care. And when COVID happened, those, those states and the patient populations in those states were relatively nascent, right? Because we had just launched it like a month before. Uh, but we already were doing so much telehealth with our local members. Our providers were used to telehealth, our patients were used to telehealth. We were already drop shipping at home testing. We were doing kind of this this anyway. And so in that sense, I feel really grateful because I never could have predicted what happened, but we, a lot of medical services really got hit hard in that Q2 and even Q3 of 2020 and nothing much changed for us in a sense because we just sort of kept on with the telehealth we were already doing. Um, but. Had that not happened, had the majority of our business been reliant on new patients coming in physically every day in the door, uh, it would have been a completely different quarter.
0: Ah, That is is interesting. Um, So your vision for medicine should be where you are um, may have made Parsley one of the very, very few companies that timed the pandemic. Who knew? Um, But maybe a very small category, including you and Zoom, I think. Um, now, right <laughs> now, you're, you're doing uh, another pivot, and uh, pivot, or, or maybe a pivot is too strong a word. You're, you're, doubling down uh, a focus on women patients. Tell me about that and why that is particularly important.
1: Well, you know, I give these fireside chats. I'll get to that in a second. But I give these fireside chats to CEO, like once a month to new employees, uh-huh. and I usually end them, and I usually end them and say. They're all over Zoom now. But even before COVID, we had people sort of everywhere. So they were over Zoom then, too. But I always say at some point in this little talk that I give that there's no how we do things at Parsley because we should always be evolving. And the best companies are constantly evolving the how Mm -hmm. while staying true to the why. And so just like offering telehealth came out of looking at our own patient behavior I didn't sort of go and look at the market and say the market is ready for telehealth. You know, I just sort of said, all right, most of our patients are mostly seeing us via telehealth. I feel confident that we can launch 10 States and ultimately more. Now we're in 46 um, or 47 um, and, and offer this service fully remotely, but we could have been wrong, right? We could have seen completely different user behavior in our telehealth members Mm -hmm. versus our in-person members. But I felt, okay, looking at our existing patients and what they're doing, what they want, we feel confident in putting our toe in the water for a telehealth strategy. So similarly, right now in our focus on women, uh, 80% of our members are women, Um, about 20% are men. And it's been like that from the beginning. Um, And we serve all comers. We don't turn our doors away, close our doors to anyone, uh, no matter how they identify um, or, or what their gender is. But what we've seen over and over again is that women are, are, for customer. And we asked ourselves, well, why is that? Um, we're, you know, not explicitly a women's health company. This isn't originating. We have male members um, all the time. And men have some of the same conditions women have. But when we looked at the data, women are um, disproportionately impacted, especially adult women, um, you know, between the ages of 20 and 65. So sort of the workforce age woman is um dealing with some of these chronic conditions that we're really good at treating more than the men are. Hmm. So the GI conditions more frequently occurring in women, autoimmune, autoimmune disease, 80% is in women. And we do a lot of autoimmune personally. I don't know why that is medicine at large, doesn't fully understand yet why autoimmune disease happens largely in women. Autoimmune disease tends to impact women in the prime of their careers, forties and fifties. and um, can take them out of the workforce. Uh, all of the hormone work that we do and fertility and preconception work that we do. Um, For example, a woman came in with PCOS, polycystic ovarian system syndrome, irregular periods, told she would never get pregnant without uh, IVF. And by proactively working with her with her diet, helping her balance her hormones, she was able to get pregnant naturally. So that type of work, the work we find ourselves doing, Uh, yes, we work on blood sugar we work on heart health and we work on mental health and those things can, uh, affect, you know, affect everybody and all of the things that we do affect everybody, but they disproportionately impact women. And so we asked ourselves this year, who is our core customer and how can we better serve that person? And what does she need from us? And when we looked under the hood at our own data, we saw that again, women 80% and we are a woman led company. Um, not all of our provider, medical providers are women, but most of them are, because coming out of primary care fields, most doctors today coming out of primary care are women, or in primary care fields are women. Um, the field is, is as that is half in the field. And so we felt a calling, and we felt that going forward, we wanted to really focus on the needs of that woman who is the CEO of her family's health. She is the chief medical officer. She is making those decisions for her kids, her partners, her friends, her parents. Uh, and she, in this time period, needs help more than ever. Um, as we've seen, and I think as, as Inc. has reported on really beautifully, women are dry, dropping out of the workforce in droves. And so we felt that by focusing on this core customer, we'll be even more successful and also do a better job.
0: Interesting, okay, good. Let let me wrap up by asking you a question about about you. Um, You are, you know, a a new mom. You have a 12-week-old at home. You have two other kids. You have a company to run. You are (laughs) sleep-deprived, no doubt. Um, What do you do to keep your energy up?
1: (laughs) Great question. Uh, Well, I live live our medicine at Parsley because the medicine that we that we teach, uh, a lot of people don't know that the etymology of the word doctor is teacher. That's where the word mm. comes from. Uh-huh. Um, the medicine that we teach is uh, starts with nutrition and food as medicine. It starts with well-being practices like meditation. And it includes prescribing the latest prescription drugs and doing super fancy pants diagnostic tests and referring to specialists when needed. But it also includes understanding that the core drivers of how we all feel every single day of our lives are deeply impacted by what we're eating how we're moving and whether or not we manage stress with things like alcohol or scrolling social media Mm. or you know things that are um depleting not to our health or whether we do things that are restorative and so for me that means i meditate every day it could be two minutes of a breathing practice when I'm like, oh my God, my time blur is driving me absolutely crazy and I'm going to freak out. Um, it could mean a longer meditation practice if I've had a crazy day of just sitting in bed before bed. So meditation is a big part of my personal practice. I think it's one of the most powerful things that we can all do.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then I eat the way that we prescribe it, parsley. So I eat a diet that is whole foods based. Um, I'm largely pescatarian, but I eat some meat. But I don't eat processed packaged foods. I've eliminated added sugars from my life mostly, except in, you know, the, the special occasion moments um, and lots of vegetables, lots of whole grains, lots of fish. Uh, and so that means I'm not eating things that are making me feel fogged and zonked. Um, a lot of people don't know that 70% of the American diet is ultra processed and ultra packaged and that mm. is making us deeply ill. And not just ill physically, but ill mentally and emotionally. And so uh, I have to walk the walk, not just because it like sounds good because, you know, the CEO practices what she preaches or whatever. But um, because if I don't do those things, uh, I will fall apart. I'll get sick. I'll get fogged. I'll get tired. I'll be unable to be a mom. I'll be unable to manage people and it's not that I don't have bad days or days where I'm exhausted, because I do. The baby's still waking up at 3 a.m. every night. I would really like him to stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Help me. Um, my other two kids were already sleeping through the night at this point, so I'm a little lost in ah. the woods on this one. But, yeah, um, you know, I, I have to compensate for the crazy life and the 3 a.m. wake-ups um, by really taking care of myself. And so that's that's how I make it work.
0: Well, that's good. Well, certainly no one is better positioned to know what to do than you, Robin. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, It it (laughs) has been a great conversation. Um, uh, You know, I'd I'd ask you to write us all a prescription, but I know that that, we don't need to do that anymore. Uh, Congratulations on your success with Parsley uh, and um, hope you catch up on your sleep really soon. Thanks for I being so here. I
1: too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's all for this episode of The Human Factor. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss the next episode. The Human Factor is produced by Joshua Christensen with help from Blake Odo.